Well, howdy, family. You know, I want to thank you for letting me come up here with this coat on and a tie. I, I don't see too many of you out there that have it. You know, I'm one of those few baby boomers. Yeah, that tells you a little bit about my age, but, you know, it spreads a long period of time from about 1945 on to 19-something, 62, so you just have to guess how old I am. But, uh, you know, I grew up kind of in a different age than a lot of people, and uh, yet God was so great to keep with me. Uh, people ask me, why do you wear a tie when you go to work? How many of you wear a tie when you go to work? I didn't think so. You know, the days were... You just don't seem to get dressed up or tie. And um, in our district office in Austin, we kind of let people do whatever they want to on during the week, but I always show up with a tie. And people say, why do you show up with a tie? And I say, you know, there are a lot of people out there that's connected to the Lutheran Texas District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. There are a lot of pastors and a lot of educators, a lot of DCEs out there. They're working hard. They're out there on the front line. And to respect them, I want to wear a tie. So is that okay? All right, great. I don't know. I'm going to use this chair back here. Now, I don't know if you can bring the lights up in the, in the house. Will that create a problem if we did that? Because they've got to look at a Bible. Oh, yes. Okay. So we're going to look at God transforming lives. And I need you to look in the Old Testament. That's in the first part of the scripture. And I'm going to tell you a page. If you'd go to page 245, it'd be 1 Kings 17, down at the bottom there. And I'm going to begin with verse 8. I want to talk about the situation that happened back a long time ago that speaks to you, speaks to me, about God's ability to transform lives, transform your life, transform my life, transform the lives of people around you. This is about a prophet called Elijah. And maybe you know something about Elijah. Elijah was sent to what was the northern kingdom, the kind of a, the promise, God's people kind of split after Solomon's death, King Solomon's death. And there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom had kings that came one after the other. And scripture tells us in chapter 16 that they did even more evil than the king before them. And so Elijah, a prophet to this northern section of Israel, was called to go and call them to repentance, saying, God wants to transform your lives, but they didn't listen to him. So God sent Elijah to the king at that time, King Ahab, and we'll talk about him a little later. And he said, there's not going to be any rain or any dew unless I speak the words because of your evil. And Elijah was taken up in the mountain, and he was fed by a brook, and he had ravens coming and feeding him on a daily basis with bread and meat. And pretty soon the brook dried up because the drought was so severe. And God says then, that's where we're going to pick up the story. Okay, so I want you to know there's a drought. It's bad. It's kind of like that dust bowl years back in, in Oklahoma, and I did not live through that, neither did anyone here. 
but I know that from history they say it was bad. There was nothing growing and there was starvation going on. Now it doesn't mean that there was no rain period because Elijah and God's mercy allowed some of that to come, but this is getting really, really bad for the people, not just in Israel, but the people in the Middle East area. And so the brook is dried and Elijah's given a command and we're picking up at verse eight of chapter 17. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. That's pretty terrible, that's pretty bad. That's how, what the drought had brought to people in that time. There was no flour, there was no olive oil, there was nothing left in her house. She was in desperate situation and she understood that death was all that she could face after she made this last piece of bread. But Elijah said to her, I'm picking up in verse um, 13, I think it is, maybe it's 12. I tell you, these Bibles are really these words. Okay, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said and make a little bread for me first, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Sometime later, he became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. 
as an interesting story. It's a wonderful story for today in the world that we live in, a world that is very, very challenging. And we just saw that this um, last weekend in Paris, France, and how there just, um, just seems to be violence all over the place. War and people upset with one another, people wanting to hate one another and hate countries and all this other stuff. Maybe you are in a war in your own life too with people around you or maybe you're struggling with relationships with people. It's a tough, challenging world. Uh, it was challenging in Elijah's day. This drought had brought challenges on people. People were looking for Elijah. They wanted to bring him down and put him before the king. The king wanted to put him to death for bringing all of this disaster on the country. But I, I think there's something deeper than just feeding and keeping people alive. And that's what this text really shows us. So let's get into this. Where is Zarephath? Well, it, we know that it's close to Sidon because they said that. And it's, that means that uh, most people think that on the Mediterranean coast it's between Sidon and Tyra, about a mile in, inland. And so it's really close to that northern part of the country. And what's interesting, if you go back to chapter 16, and we're not going to do that, but you can look it up, Ahab marries a woman who is very, very evil. I don't know if you know her name. Know her name? Jezebel. Okay? Jezebel. And Jezebel worshipped an idol called Baal. And she was a fervent worshiper of Baal. And she sacrificed the Baal. And she married Ahab, king of Israel. Now what's interesting is in chapter 16, it tells us that Jezebel's father was king of Sidon. And so he's king over that area where Zarephath is. Okay? And Jezebel comes down to Samaria, which was the, king, the place for the kingdom of the kingdom of the north, the place for the capital of the kingdom of the north. And she's there, and what Ahab does, you know, remember I said to you, each of these kings, the scripture says, and they did more evil than the king before them. Well, Ahab brings in an idol of Baal, and builds a temple to him right in the capital city of Samaria. And he is worshiping this idol Baal. He's not worshiping Yahweh anymore. He's worshiping Baal. And he's forcing all the people around him to worship Baal. But what's interesting about this, when God has to send Elijah someplace for him to get food, he doesn't send her, send him to a place in Israel in the northern kingdom. He sends them right into the country, right into the midst of where Jezebel lived and came from, right into what I would call the heart of the lion's den. And that's important for us to know because there are people around us in the world that don't know Jesus, but when they do kind of know a little bit about him, they might say, well, <laughs> I'm too sinful. I'm just too bad for him to even care about me or come and deal with my life and transform me. But here's what God did. 
He had such concern for the people that were even outside of the northern kingdom of Israel that he sends Elijah right there in the midst of Baal worship, right in the heart of anything but Yahweh. And he goes there on a mission. God is on a mission. Now, I can't tell you that this widow was a, a worshiper of Yahweh. It doesn't look that way, at least not at first. Okay? She is living up there, not a Jew. I'm pretty sure she's not part of the Israelite clan. It doesn't seem that way to be living up there, but that could possibly be. The Bible doesn't tell us too much about her because we're interested in what God's doing here. But I think I could probably say that she was probably having, she probably had idols in her home. Okay, maybe she was a worshiper of Baal. But she knew something about Yahweh. She knew something about Elijah's God. She might even known that Elijah was the one that was bringing about all this drought. So his God right now was stronger than any other God. And that's how people thought back then. Is your God stronger than my God? We're going to go in battle. We're going to find out. And right here, we find that this God, Yahweh is stronger than any gods and any people in the world at that point because he has stopped up the sky and he has brought this people to their knees. She seems to know something about that. And so when Elijah comes to her and he says, bring me a little bit of water and then make me a bit of cake and bread, whatever, she says some interesting words. Let's listen to him again. She says here, I swear to the Lord, to Yahweh, that's what it is in the Old Testament, I swear to the Lord, your God. Did you hear it? It wasn't her God. It's your God. Okay? I swear by the Lord, your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread and I only have a little bit of oil and I only have a little bit of flour and I'm going to make it for my son and we're going to eat it and we're going to die. Why would God send his prophet to a lady who can't claim him as her God? Because God's on a mission. And his mission is to transform lives wherever you might find them transform your life and transform your neighbor's life and transform the lives of people all across this world. That's God's mission. And he is not quiet about it even today. He is sending his word right into the heart of the biggest evil that there can be because he's conquered that evil through his son Jesus Christ. And he's conquered it for you and for me. I I like what the play of words are in this chapter. I don't know whether you picked it up. She said, I'm going to make a little piece of cake. I'm going to give a little bit to my son. I'm going to get a little bit to myself. And I'm going to, we're going to then die. Okay? Then we go into the next section. But God doesn't have her die. He gives her the the food, and as long as Elijah's there and until rain comes back and crops are back there, there's going to be flour in that jar, there's going to be oil in that jar, and she's going to have bread, and she and her son are going to live. But the next scene we see is that he becomes sick, the son. And so sick, he grows worse and worse, and he finally dies. Now, the second time the word die, okay, is mentioned there. Why? 
why does God bring this about except to teach you and me and all the people around what was going on in her life his tremendous power because you know it really doesn't matter whether each and every one of us has enough oil in our jars and enough flour in our jars to live and have our being in this world of ours it really doesn't matter whether you live in a very rich big home whether you have a wonderful big car, whether you have retirement all set for you, God will continue to let the jar of flour and the jar of oil even flow for you. But you know what? None of that stuff is going to stop you from coming as we said the song. One of these days, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And one of these days, you're going to die. I don't know how it might be for myself. I don't know what it might be for you. I do thank God that my jar of oil and my jar of flour continues to be full. I hope you do too for yours. Now, I don't compare myself to you, and I, I don't want to compare myself to millionaires or billionaires or, or anything like that. I just know that God is continuing to fill my jar with flour and with oil, and I don't deserve any of it. But that's the gracious God that we have. And he shines the sun on both the righteous and the unrighteous. That's him. He lets the rain fall down on those who don't worship him and on those that do worship him. He is a gracious God and he's been gracious to me and he's been gracious to you. But nothing in this world, nothing at all, can save me from death. Nothing. Doesn't matter what idol you might be worshiping, whether you're worshiping the idol of science, or whether you're worshiping the idol of medicines, or whether you're worshiping some other power out there. It's not going to stop you, it's not going to end death. And it didn't end death for this young boy. He had the flour and he had the oil, he had bread every day to eat. And he died. And she is upset. I understand that. You do too. If you were a mother and your son dies. And she says, why are you bringing this? And she understood. Is this because of my sin? Is this because of my sin that this tragedy is coming into my life? Have you ever heard that before? You think tragedy or struggles have come into your life because you're a sinner? And all, is that it? Only because you're a sinner? Well, we do know we live in a, a fallen world and each of us are fallen ourselves. But that's not our God. Okay? It's not our God. And so she says, is this because I'm a sinner? And Elijah doesn't say no, but he takes the boy's body, he goes upstairs, he lies down on him three times. He's praying to the Lord, bring life back into this body. And God listens to his prayer. And life comes back into the son, and he takes him down and gives it to the mother and said, here's your son's alive. And her response is critical for us to hear. Her response is this. Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you that Yahweh 
truly speaks to you. It's no longer your God. Did you catch that? It's no longer your God. Words are true in you. It is the Yahweh. It is the Lord, her Lord now. It's no longer something out there belonging to somebody else. She is claiming in her own confession here that Yahweh is now her God. He has not only been able to keep her alive with physical things, he has conquered death. What other idol has done that? What other God that can she remember in her, her time, or you can remember in your time, that has conquered death? There's only one, and that is the true God, Yahweh, our God. And he sent his son into this world to take on our flesh, and he took our punishment our sin upon himself and he went to a cross and he died there on that cross and he was put in a grave he was dead and the world was going to go on as if that was another little little spot in history except God raised him up and he declares to you and to me and the whole world I have dominion over death itself and through my son, Jesus Christ, you're going to have life. I've got to refer to this note. We sang in that first hymn, it's all because of Jesus that I'm alive. Would you say that? It's all because of Jesus that I'm alive. And you are alive. And even though you experience struggle, struggles, and even though you experience weaknesses in your own spiritual walk, I can tell you that in the name of Jesus Christ, you have been made alive. And one of these days, we will come to the end of our time on this earth. But as the second song said, but then 10,000 years and more, I'll be able to sing praises to God because we're going to be raised up and we're going to join a choir in heaven and we're going to sing new songs that haven't been sung on this earth and we're going to be joined as a people of God and we're going to worship the only true God in a whole new way in our life each day will just be far beyond anything this world can give us because God transforms lives I'm so glad that he's transformed your life. I thank him for that. He's poured out your spirit upon you. And he's not finished with you yet. Oh, you might find some places in your life. Maybe you gossip. Maybe you do some other things. I, I don't know. Maybe it's like this. You, you end up in jail. You know, God, God comes right into the middle of jail. God comes right in the middle of evil, just like he did in the Old Testament. He's going there to transform lives. And that's what your ministry is all about, transforming lives. Your life, I pray daily that the Lord would fill me with his spirit so that what I do in my life would honor him and give him glory. Not to pat me on the back, because he's already given me the gift of life that nobody else can give. It's an eternal life for me. And out of gratitude, I understand some of the dark areas in my life. And I want to, as the scripture said, God, shine your light in there. 
Help me, fill me with your spirit so I don't continue that path. I don't have to continue in that path. You have power over all of that. And that's what happens with a transformed life. You begin to live in a different way, not on your own power, but on the power of the God that transformed you, on the power of God that gives you life and has conquered death. So I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful to our God that he's continuing to work in you and that he will continue to work in you and continue to give you that transformed life every day of your life. And we say amen? Amen. Let me pray for you right now, please. Father, you're a wonderful God. You've shown us in Scripture, not only in this Scripture in the Old Testament about Elijah and this widow, a name we don't even know, a woman that remains nameless, but she was important to you. You came in and transformed her life through your prophet and through your presence there. As she came to confess to you that you were her God. And as we see that transformation right in the middle of Baal worship, we can only just lift up our hands and thank you and praise you that you still do that today and that you have done it for these people in this room and you continue to transform their lives with your spirit and your presence. Father, I just pray that your word would become more and more alive in their life and that they would just celebrate each day more and more the joy of your love in your forgiveness. And I know that you're going to use their tongue and you're going to use their life as instruments in your hands to transform other lives in this community and beyond. Father, open their eyes so that they will be able to see exactly what you're doing and give honor and praise always to your name. For it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.